Hello and hola everyone. Welcome back to Figuring It Out Podcast. My name is Alberto, but my friends call me Albert or Albi. This is the podcast where my friends and I talk about everything we do know and everything we don't know about growing up. Today I have a very special guest. It is my cousin, Andrea Morrow. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. So today we're going to be talking about something that I'm super passionate about and I think something that has blown up over the past year, the topic of therapy, why you should go, what it is, when to know when you should go. Do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about your therapeutic background, how you got into therapy, what you do as a therapist? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. And uh, thanks so much for having me on your show. Uh, So I am a licensed social worker and I started therapy actually as a dialectical behavior therapist. So um, what is that, right? Because I I feel like a lot of people have heard about cognitive behavior therapy, but most people, at least on the East Coast, haven't heard about dialectical behavior therapy. So um, that is a form of therapy that's um, basically kind of like a last resort for a lot of people, but it doesn't have to be. It's um, meant for people with multiple complex issues. It is the gold standard treatment for suicidal ideation. Um, It's also the gold standard for borderline personality disorder. And really um, it centers around building a life worth living. And I have literally seen it transform lives. And um, I've worked with people who have been so hopeless And it just completely turned their life around. And it's amazing. Um, So I'm a huge advocate for that form of therapy. I've also done work um, in private practice that was more, um, you know, it wasn't a specific treatment center for a specific modality, but I could use multiple different modalities within, um, you know, my therapy sessions, whether that was Um, using CBT techniques or, um, you know, psychodynamic psychotherapy. So I have um, experienced a mixture of of different forms of therapy, but DBT, I would say, is um, the one I'm the most well-versed in. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean... You've always been someone, I mean, I've known you my whole life. You're my older cousin. <laughs> so it's, you've always been someone who's super passionate about helping people. So like, I don't think anyone was surprised to learn that you were going into therapy and that you wanted to be a therapist and you were helping people and doing all this amazing work. And Aww. you talk about, you know, cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy. And I think that's probably what most of the people who listen to this podcast are aware of. Personally, for me, mm-hmm. I know that's the kind of therapy that I go to, which we'll get into. And I want to talk about my own personal experiences with therapy and how it's helped me. But I think there's this, we as Gen Z now are finally entering this era of we're deleting the stigma that because you go to therapy, there is something wrong with you or that you need help. That whereas the reality is like you, everyone should go to therapy. Everyone should know how their mind works. Everyone should be able to talk out their issues with someone who's able to appropriately offer advice and explain what's happening in their brain and body. So I want to ask you, like, how do you, what do you see as, how do you know when someone should go to therapy? Really, it varies from person to person. It could be, you know, you're, you're, you're experiencing signs of burnout or you just are struggling to do day-to-day tasks or you're just 
you're noticing that you're experiencing a lot of negativity in terms of like the way that you're thinking, your motivation. Um, you're feeling like you really can't give any more to anybody. I think those are some clear signs that you need your cup filled. And I think a great way to have your cup filled is to take time to speak with someone and have that hour where it's about you and your needs and um, really, yeah, exploring how that cup can be filled. I think for other people, you know, um, it could be, I don't know, it could be that you, you went through something really traumatic or you're going through some grief and you're, you're recognizing, wow, I really, um, I'm not coping with this as, as, as easily as I'd like, or as well as I'd like, I need some tools. I need some strategies to help me get through this. Um, or, you know, it could be you're, you're, you're suffering with a type of behavioral discontrol, like, you you know, substance use that has been a huge problem, um, and has increased from, you know, when the pandemic started as well. Um, so it could be, you know, you're, you're having difficulties with substance use or, um, you know, uh, intrusive thoughts. Uh, maybe you are, you know, are, are noticing a lot of anxiety that's keeping you from doing things in your daily life. So I, I think one of the barriers is that into going to therapy is sometimes people feel like I need to feel a specific kind of way to go to therapy. And it's not a one size fits all approach. And I think that's also a barrier to getting the right treatment, because I think because for so long it has been so taboo to go to therapy, it's not common knowledge what types of therapy are um, are best for what types of problems you might be facing. So, you know, I've, I've also done case management work and I've spoken to people who are like, yeah, therapy doesn't work for me. And in the course of our conversation, I find out the, the form of therapy that they were um, you know, that they were utilizing was not at all helpful for what they needed help with. For instance, like someone who is, um, who experienced a great deal of trauma and, and, uh, going for CBT therapy. Sure. That might scratch the surface, but there are other modes of treatment that are going to be much more helpful and beneficial in helping you to move past that trauma than CBT might. So, you know, I, I, I kind of use the analogy when you have an issue with, like, if you have a cold, you're going to go to your primary care doctor. Or if you have an issue with your foot, you're going to go to your podiatrist. So therapy is the same way. There's different treatments that work better for different, different things. Yeah, I love what you said about people thinking that they need to feel a type of way to go to therapy. And I think too, something ironic is that all the people I know who refuse to go to therapy are the people who ironically need it the most. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I will say I started going to therapy in the pandemic and with my own personal experience, I you know was diagnosed with anxiety when I was seven years old and I went to therapy a little bit as a kid and then stopped. They thought I was fine to stop. Went through my whole life elementary school, middle school, high school, college. I guess I was a junior in college and I didn't even realize how much anxiety I had until I started going to therapy because I've realized, I realized 
when the pandemic happened, I used to just distract myself. Mm-hmm. So I would gym or I'd go to rehearsal or I would, I mean, I remember one semester, I literally had 20 minutes. I was in seven classes. I was in a show where I was rehearsing 40 hours a week. I had one day to myself and I had 20 minutes. I'm not even kidding to myself every day. And I thought I was fine. And then the pandemic happened and I was forced home and I was living at home with my parents and I was just sitting there watching TV. And I remember sitting there and being like, I can't shut up my brain. What is going on? And it's, you know, also about dissociation and which is a whole other thing with therapy that I know. And that's an actual, uh, I, I don't know the word for it, but dissociation and deregulation. And I remember I was watching Flora Bama Shore, which no judgment, but this girl was talking at the end about when she started going to therapy. And she said, like, I always felt like I was in a cloud. And then I went to therapy. And then that was the first time, like, I felt like I could just like sit and like not, not feel like I was in this like weird deregulated cloud all the time and constantly reliving trauma. And I literally remember sitting there and being like, oh my God, I feel like that all the time. I feel like I'm just like in a cloud. Like I don't feel like I'm actually in a room. When I'm in a room, I don't feel like I'm in the room. And then that's when I realized like, oh, I should probably go to therapy. So I started cognitive behavioral therapy. And what's so funny is that I, I didn't even realize all the things I do in my life that are linked to my anxiety. Like why growing up, whenever I had a paper due, I would ruminate like every single day until that due date came and like, or until I did the paper, like in college, I, I remember I had a like research paper that was, I think like eight to 12 pages. And we had, I think two months to get it done. And I did it in two weeks just because I, and I was like, I just want it done. I don't want to think about it. I need to get this done in two weeks. And the college professor was like, you have another month and a half. Are you sure you don't want to look this over? And I said, no, it's done. I I just want to be done with it. And it's funny because like, oh yeah, that's proactive. And I would be like, I'm just a hard worker and I'm proactive, which is true. But it's also like, no, I would sit there and ruminate and stress about the paper until I got it done. And then I even started learning about cognitive distortions and essentially like thinking of things as black and white and always being in um, survival mode, like hunter gatherer mode, always going to the worst case scenario, fortune telling, trying to predict what's going to happen in the future, making up stories in your head without having all the information. And once I started going to therapy, I remember being like, wait, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to go to the worst case scenario all the time. You're not supposed to, when someone tells you something, overthink it for the next three days. And it's just so funny because I just, for me, that was my normal. So I didn't even think like, not that there was something wrong with me, but that that was linked to cognitive distortions and like my anxiety. And I've heard someone say recently, you know, when you're growing up in a house that's on fire all the time, when the house stops being on fire, you're like, what's going on? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I I love that you shared your own personal experiences uh, and how therapy really helped you to kind of be free from your own mind, it sounds like. And, um, you know, I I do I do want to grab on to um, the concept of um, I heard you say a couple of times, not supposed to do this, supposed to do that. I do want to to address that a little bit, because there, yes, I mean, there are healthier ways that we can have our thought processes, but I think the idea of I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do that can also be um, something that is another obstacle for for people. So I, I think I want to normalize 
that idea for some people because um, I think it's very common to to go into those as, as you were putting it cognitive distortions or you know having that um, it, it's kind of like wanting to have control but it's kind of making you have less control in a sense in the way that you're approaching it with your mind. But um, something that I, I find helpful is to, to, to try to find a way to give yourself compassion um, in, in the way that you are thinking, because our brains are actually hardwired for survival, right? So um, it's easier, like we, we are much, it's much easier for us to focus in on the negative because it's integral to our survival. It's, it's, you know, it's more important for us to be able to spot a tiger in the, the wilderness coming at us than it is to admire the, the beautiful flowers around, for instance. So, um, so our brains do naturally tend to cling to the negative more because of it's rooted in survival. So, it is difficult to retrain your brain to know focus not on the negative. And I think that's important for people to know, because I think sometimes we can have a lot of judgments about ourselves. Like, Oh my gosh, why do I think like this? I shouldn't be thinking like this. I'm not supposed to think like this. Whereas in a sense, we are meant to cling to the negative for survival purposes, but it's when it becomes, um, you know, there's a use for it and there's an unproductive use for it. And I think that's one great use of therapy for anybody is, is just learning how to not fall into those cognitive distortions and to be more productive with the way that we are thinking. Yeah, something I love, the idea that I love whenever I kind of feel shame about my anxiety or like beat myself up over it, I remind myself, this is actually true. People who kind of, whose brains were more fear focused when we were, you know, Neanth Neanth Neanderthals, Neanderthals and, <laughs> cave and cave people, people who, oh, whose brains always went to the negative were like the most desired people because they were the ones who were like ready. They would like stock up on all the food and get ready to go for the bad season. And they'd always be on the lookout for that tiger that's about to jump out and kill them. So they were the survivors. So mm -hmm. whenever mm -hmm. I feel shame around that, I'm always like, you know what, if we were cave people, everyone would be in my tribe. They'd be like, I want to be a part of Alberto's tribe because that <laughs> man, that man is keeping his shit together. And then like, but now it's like, you know, there's like, dirt on the floor and I'm like oh my gosh oh my gosh there's dirt on the floor not, I mean not that's a dramatic example but like you know and also I think too for at least in my own experience like it's about catching those cognitive distortions and mm -hmm. just acknowledging and you can acknowledge it without becoming it so like if I'm getting if I'm reading a message from work and someone just said okay in the past, I would have been like, oh, they just said, okay, I pick, I pissed them off. And that's my brain in survival mode, creating a story just so I know the answer. And I'm like, well, I pissed them off. Now I have to make them happy. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I'm like, no, they probably were just saying, okay. And moving on to something else with their day. And, and it doesn't need to be this dramatic thing of like, again, I've talked a little bit about my experience of being a people pleaser uh, a former people pleaser, but <laughs> <laughs> my journey in that. So, and I also think that's linked to, you know, anxiety 
as well. And therapies personally helped me combat that. But I want to ask you, we talked a little bit about, you know, people feeling like they have to feel a certain type of way before they go to therapy or Mm -hmm. they have to, there has to be something wrong or they have to be going through grief or they have to be stressed out about something. What do you think are some of the other misconceptions about therapy? Hmm. Well, so one that I touched upon is, I think a lot of times people think any therapy, it's like a one size fits all. And it's, right, it's yeah. not, there's, there's certain modalities that are, well, that speak to certain people more or that are just generally utilized for certain things more than others. Like mm-hmm. for generalized anxiety, I wouldn't necessarily say, um, you know, go to DBT. I think DBT could be beneficial for anyone but it's usually for multiple com- people with multiple complex issues. Right. Um, and really quick, DBT is what you mentioned earlier, dialectical, dialect behavioral therapy, correct? Yes, correct. Uh, or, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend prolonged exposure for someone who didn't have a, a phobia or who went through, who didn't go through trauma because that's really where the evidence is for that. You know, so I think, that's one thing that is a misconception that someone thinks, oh, I can just go to any therapist, right? And then, um, and then, unfortunately, then a lot of people think therapy doesn't work for me when really it's maybe this treatment just didn't speak to you or maybe it wasn't the right treatment for you at all. Mm-hmm. I think also a lot of people have the misconception um, that if they go to therapy, they should be like, everything should be affirmed. Like, you know, my therapist should just make me feel better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really dangerous mindset because if you, if I have to say, um, if you feel just affirmed and, you know, never experience any discomfort in therapy, um, every single time you go, it's probably not that effective. Like you should not always be happy with your therapist. Like your therapist should be pushing you, (laughs) honestly. Um, And, you know, Albert, you mentioned, you know, your struggles of people pleasing. I, I have had quite a similar struggle. So, you know, as a new therapist, learning that, Um, you know, in training, learning that my client shouldn't always be happy with me. It's like something that was a good, um, it was a good thing to know that, yeah, no, you know, my client shouldn't always be happy with me during our sessions because that's where like growth happens. If, If you're always really happy with your therapist and, and they're just affirming everything that you say, I, I, I question how much growth is going on. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's something I've definitely experienced. I've, I had to switch therapist because my original one went on maternity leave. And that's definitely something I've experienced with my new therapist. Not, I mean, I definitely think, you know, I'll maybe in a new situation that I've been like working with her on is like, she kind of challenges me to like think about things differently. And like, uh, you know, she kind of challenged me on some of my actions and was saying, you know, do you really think that that's what's best for you? And I was like, you know what, this was a lot more fun when you just told me I was doing great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it's true. And it's like actually like made me stop, pause and reflect and 
really ask myself challenging questions and like journal on it and think about it. And it's funny because you were saying, um, I forget what you had said that made me think of this story, but I was, oh, I think it was when you were saying that therapy is like one size fits all or like people go in with an expectation therapy. I actually went out with this guy once and we were talking about therapy and how beneficial it is. And he goes, yeah, I don't go anymore. But I remember when I started, I was just going to go for one session and the therapist would be like, okay, like, cool, you're good. Like we worked through it. And then he realized, he goes, yeah. And then after our first session, I looked at my therapist and he had this look on his face and I was like, okay, so I guess we're done. And he was like, no, I actually think you need to come back every single week for at least <laughs> a solid three months. And he was like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> and he was like, and he was correct. I didn't need to go back every week for a solid three months, but it goes back to that point of like, I had no idea that these things were maybe points of concern or something worth addressing and talking about. Yeah. I love that you brought up a time frame too, because I think that's really important. Um, I think it's good to have a time frame, and it's not like it has to be rigid, but I think it's helpful. Um, and if, if your therapist doesn't come out and do this on their own, I think it's something that people should feel empowered to kind of discuss with their therapist. I think it's really helpful um, in terms of staying motivated in therapy and also just knowing that you have a goal that you're, you're striving towards to have a time frame like, okay, um, you know, I might say to, to a client, you know, this is what I'm understanding that you want to work on. I'm, you know, I'm thinking, you know, weekly sessions for six months or whatever it might be, you know, is, is what our goal should be. And let's reassess at that time. And I think it's important to kind of have for clients to have that um, idea in their minds of how long might this take, but also not being rigid. Like if at the end of the six months, it's like, wow, I don't feel ready to like, that doesn't mean, okay, therapy's over. Um, but just knowing like you, you have a time frame where, you know, we think, I think this, it, it could, you know, this could be a good time frame, or this is a goal. Like by this time, I'm hoping that you'll be able to do X, Y, Z. And I think, I think that, that, that tangibility is helpful for people. For sure. And I think too, what we've been talking about, life is full of so many ups and downs. I think in my experience, I guess now I've been going to therapy for almost, it'll be three years this May. And, you know, I've gone through waves of, okay, I'm really actually struggling a lot right now. So I was seeing my therapist every week and then, okay, we went back, we dialed back to two weeks because I was working through it on my own. And then it's like, okay, I actually have been really good. I'm not seeing my therapist for a month. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Now I'm just like doing like, a, like we called it uh, maintenance checks, like kind of how yes. you take your car for maintenance checks. We would do like maintenance checks of like every three months, which I personally think is brilliant because you go to the doctor to get your physical every year. Why not just like check in mm -hmm. every couple of months, like even if it's once every six months. Um, but then, you know, then something else happens in my life that kind of triggers something new in my brain. So then we go back to maybe every other week and, or, the, or every week. And it's just like these waves. So I don't think it, like you're saying the timeline has to be so rigid and it's not also a setback necessarily if you're seeing them every six months and then you go back to every other week or every week because that's not, I mean, 
your life, especially at our age, like I'm only 24. So like my life is constantly changing and I'm being exposed to new things. So like, I remember when I first moved to New York, for example, like all of a sudden now I had this like stress of paying bills. And I was like, it was, you know, bringing up these other things in my brain that I was stressed about and anxiety. And I was like, okay, well, this is a new stress that I haven't experienced. And it's re-bringing up all this other stuff that maybe I haven't worked through yet. So then that became a period where I was going back to therapy more frequently. And then once I had, you know, I felt comfortable enough with myself to just work through it on my own. I said to my therapist, I really just think I need the maintenance check again. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Um, and sometimes, you know, like you said, I mean, your life is circumstances change. And so your need for therapy and the frequency of therapy will change too. But sometimes what people come in for, you know, that what you end up working on, even in that specific phase of life might change. So like, you know, I, I've had clients come in for one thing. I don't know, like, let's say they wanted to work on, you know, um, anxiety. And then in the course of treatment, you might like something might be, you might realize, oh, I didn't realize, but I, I, I actually um, have a lot of obsessive compulsive habits or, wow, I didn't realize that this trauma from when I was 10 is still impacting me so much and is really the driving force of my anxiety. So as as you're going through therapy, you might have new revelations that also change the course of treatment as well. Um, so I think that's important to note. And like what you said about, you know, starting weekly and then kind of tapering off and, and um, needing less and less as time goes on. I think that's, um, that's a really good point that you make too, right? If, um, like, for instance, I'm just going to use when I was a DBT therapist because um, that's, you know, what I have the most experience with. But so um, clients would often commit to weekly sessions along with weekly group skills training sessions for either six months or a year. And then afterwards, we might work on something else, whether it's, you know, OK, now I want to do trauma therapy or um, or we might work on you know, it might just everyday life struggles. And so like, if it's something like, I just want to work on, I'm going to off to college and I might want to just like check in every now and then. Okay. So maybe like once a month we'll start meeting. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, after that, maybe every three months. So I think that's a really good point. It's like, as, as your circumstances change and as you go through therapy, um, there should be this, depending on what you're working on, of course, there should yeah. be this gradual, um, you know, not extension of the frequency of your therapy. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, an exception I would say is, as if you're doing DBT and then you go to trauma therapy. Well, trauma therapy is still pretty, I mean, it's not as intensive as that DBT, but you need, you know, it's still going to be pretty frequent versus like if you're working on just general anxiety from day-to-day life. So. Exactly. Yeah. And I want to ask too, because you've talked about, you talked about when, you know, you may be not feeling great about your therapy session every single time. What are some things people should look for when they're seeking a therapist? Because I want to, and I don't want to sway you in this question, but, you know, I have a lot of gay friends who with relationship stuff, they want to see 
a gay therapist because they feel like Mm -hmm. only a gay therapist will understand their experience. Or I know my current therapist, she's specifically works with like a lot of Latino, Latina, Latinx clients, primarily for the language barrier, but also culturally as well. She said that there's just certain things that maybe a therapist outside the community wouldn't understand. Yeah. um, So I think I've definitely run into that where certain people might prefer a female therapist or someone that have female therapist. A lot of people. Yeah. Um, Or they might prefer someone that has a similar cultural background. Um, I think um, also the language one is common, right? Because you don't want to have those barriers that might get in the way of treatment too. But um, I will also say there's a benefit to that, to looking for someone who's similar, who like I know also with substance use, a lot of people prefer someone who have gone through substance use issues because they feel like, so if you don't understand, you can't help me, which I would caution because I, I, I see a benefit. There is definitely a benefit to working with someone who has shared a lived experience with you. And it doesn't mean that if they haven't, that they're not going to be a good therapist for you. And, you know, I'll just say, especially on the East coast, DBT is very, um, there's not a lot of programs out there. So, you know, we would have, we had a lot of people on our waiting list and there would be people who, you know, maybe because of trauma or for whatever reason, um, they preferred a female therapist and only a male therapist was available. And so, you know, that's something, of course, we would have an open dialogue about. And ultimately it was the client's choice. Do I want to pursue this therapy or not still, but while there's a lot of benefit to working with someone who has a shared life experience, there's also benefit to working with someone who um, you might not feel as comfortable working with because there's growth in that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to to touch on too. I have had clients that have had fertility issues and I was pregnant at the time. So that's something we needed to talk, talk about like, how comfortable do you feel working with me and uh, on your feelings surrounding your fertility issues um, and witnessing me being pregnant in our sessions while we're, you know, so that's something to talk through. And I will tell you, um, yeah, there is discomfort there, but I also saw so much healing in just being able to have those discussions and being faced with that reality that is, is difficult for you too. Yeah. I think that's so, I think that's so amazing that you bring that up. And I, I think I wanted to ask because I know that I feel like my generation, I guess you're a millennial, I'm Gen Z. My generation specifically, I feel has really worked hard to erase the stigma around therapy. I also live on the Northeast. So maybe it's still a Northeast thing. I don't know if it's like expanded to, you know, maybe Central America, like the middle of America, but I definitely think Gen Z is like really pushing back on this idea of like the stigmas of therapy. And I wanted to ask, why do you think that is? And what obstacles do you think still think are faced in like, I guess, stigmas around therapy or getting people to go to therapy or maybe there's just not enough therapists available. What obstacles do you still think there are? So I think the misconceptions create obstacles. I think 
you know, be, and I think I, I touched upon this a little bit earlier, but I just think because it has been so stigmatized for so long, we haven't had enough open conversations about it. So people don't know what type of therapy is good for what, what I'm looking for. And, you know, or, um, how am I supposed to feel in order to go to therapy and just not having that open dialogue creates the barrier because people don't know. And so they go, they don't know what they're looking for and they might not find something that is specifically what they need. And then they just don't want to look again. Mm. And then why do you think, why do you think maybe people now more than ever are so much more open to going to therapy? You know, I, I think you mentioned, I think part of it is generational and just, um, you know, a different mentality in going to therapy. But I also think it's, uh, you. so much has happened in the last few years with the pandemic. And I think with the isolation that the pandemic brought, there was a host of um, new, all new, not, maybe not necessarily new, but this heightening of mental health issues um, across the general population. And um, when a need increases, I think an openness to something also increases. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. And I think that's like a great place to wrap up. I mean, did, is there anything else you wanted to add that I didn't maybe get the chance to ask you about your experience or therapy or I don't know if you wanted to add anything about like couples therapy or other forms of therapy, feel free to take this like last couple minutes to just go on a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, be careful with inviting me to go on a tangent. I'm aware. (laughs) Um, No, I just, you know, I think just reflecting on this episode, I just, um, I'm really glad that, that you are, you know, creating a space to have this, these conversations, because I, I do think that even though therapy is much more widely accepted amongst the current generation, I think um, so much that we've discussed is still taboo or maybe people are afraid to ask. And I think it's so important that you are giving a voice to maybe those, those questions that aren't, aren't spoken, but are on so many people's minds. And it might be, it might be, the things somebody needed to hear to, to get in the door and to just, to just experience therapy. And I, I just, I think what I would encourage people is to do your research. Um, you know, what, what are you looking to get out of therapy? Do your research and what, what kinds of therapy are out there? Um, and what might like, what might be helpful for what you're going through? I think being open, so it's okay to want a specific thing or a specific kind of therapist um, or someone from a specific walk of life. But if that's not what you get, if that's not what you find, that doesn't mean that it could be any less healing. It might even be more healing. Um, So I think one, do your research, two, be open, and I just think um, three is get comfortable with being uncomfortable <laughs> because 
<laughs> yeah. And I, I can't stress that enough. If you never feel uncomfortable in a session, um, either you're holding back, your therapist isn't pushing you enough, or maybe a little bit of both. I mean, that's where growth happens. So get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier about something that kind of spoke to you about needing to go back to therapy was you noticed how much you were distracting your mind. And then when the pandemic hit and you could no longer distract, it was um, not to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like what you were getting at is that it was overwhelming. Yeah. Um, it's almost and, like you hit the brakes on the car and everything in the trunk comes flying forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just, I'm, it's so great that you shared that personal experience because I think it, it's good for all, any of us to ask, like, do I, do I do that? Do I distract? Do I ever sit with my emotions? Um, how do I respond to my emotions? Do I respond to them and like value them even when they're uncomfortable because they're serving a purpose or do I try to flee from them? Whether it's through just filling up my schedule, returning to substances or, um, you know, partying every night. Of, I don't know. A lot of men use, uh, not to be that person, but a lot of men use sex. Yeah. To, like, that's another. Um, I, I think too, something I want to add is I actually, I've heard people say like, well, I, I don't really want to go to therapy because I already know what would come up and I just like, don't want to go there. That is a terrible reason not to go to therapy. That is like the telltale sign that you well, should go to therapy. And you know what? Therapy. I would encourage those people to actually go to therapy and share that with the therapist because yeah, for real that like, I want to come to therapy but I don't want to open up because then what you might, the first thing you might work on in therapy is what's the barrier to opening up? What's the fear? Why can't you open up? Mm -hmm. And how do we get you there? And that might be three months of that, you know, that might be six months of that. And then once yeah. that's figured out, then, okay, now we can get some real work done because now we figured out what's, what's causing that, yeah, I mean that obstacle. And it's not exactly the easiest thing either to like sit with someone who you've just like met with this like degree. And now you're like encouraged, to like share everything about, about your life with them. But it's like, you've said, going to take time to get there. And I just think that it's so great that we're able to have this discussion and I'm so glad you were willing to come on the podcast and talk about it. I think this is going to be super beneficial for so many people. I have so many friends who are trying to get into therapy. So I just want to say thank you so much again. I know your son is awake. I can hear him in the background. <laughs> so I'll let you go, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, you had so much insight to offer. This is definitely like such an interesting episode. Yeah, thank so you thank so you. much for having me. And um, thank you for just bringing light to the, the issues. So thank you so, 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 so much for tuning into this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for making sure my mom isn't the only one who tuned in this week. If you liked this podcast, I hope you will follow and leave a review and share with all your friends. Until next time, everyone. Ciao, ciao.